0: You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is What Are We Doing With The Health Message, Episode 1 with Walt Cross. Good afternoon, y'all. Isn't it beautiful here? Well, I was enjoying standing outside there and enjoying that fresh air and sunshine that just kind of fills you up. How many of y'all have ever been unemployed? When I was a boy, my father and my grandfather, I was raised on a farm. And they taught me the first thing in the morning, what you do is you go out and you look at the tree at the other end of the field and you drop the plow and you go. Anybody ever lived on a farm? Gentlemen, you understand what I mean? It's difficult though, if you're trained to plow, but you can't plow. This afternoon, I'd like to speak on the unemployment line. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful location in this ministry here. Lord, as we look at your expectation of what you'd have us to do, Lord, open our minds. Help us to understand what you want us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll call her Sally. I was working at the cash register one day, and this lady comes up. Her name, we'll call her Sally. And, and I'm talking to her, and I said, how'd you like that book Mary Lou gave you? And she said, um, that's a good book. She says, where's that LNG White, or that E.G. White live? I said, Sally, she's dead. I See, she died back in 1915. And she looked at me and she said, it's almost like she is a prophet or something. She says, they didn't know that stuff back then. And I said, you're right, I agree with you. And I said, do you like reading? And she says, yes. I said, do you like reading on the Reformation? She says, oh, yes. So I walked around the counter and, and I went over and I, I picked up another book that I had. And I said, would you like to read another book on on the, the Reformation? I said, and it's really good on the Waldensians. Have you ever heard of the Waldensians? And she says, I've heard of them. I said, read this book. And so I gave it to her, and I walked back, and, and she said, oh, it's that same person. She says, I know. I'll enjoy it. About a month later, I was standing there, and she was back in, and I was standing on one side of the counter. We had beans and rice and things on, and And she was standing on the other side, and I said, Sally, how'd you like that book I gave you? She said, "Um, How's it good? She said it, but it wasn't the Waldensians got my attention. I said, What was it? She said, "Um, I'm convinced that Saturday is a Sabbath. Well, that caused a problem. See, her husband was a Methodist preacher. Had two churches. Well, she started uh, coming to uh, our... We did a branch Sabbath school up on the mountain. She started bringing her husband and her children and herself. We did Bible study. She came to church with us. But she said, Walt, she says, I can't change churches. That would disgrace my husband. And in the South, it's just that's just how things work. And so she couldn't do that. And so... You know, she, it, she also asked me for some more of them books. And uh, she started handing them out to church members that they had. Both Ministry of Healing, the book Mary Lou had given her, and The Great Controversy, the book I had given her. And here she was, a Methodist pastor, passing out to two Methodist churches those books and some other books written by the same author. Well, time went by. Methodist Church took a change. They they started allowing women ordination. They then started allowing the ordination uh, the ordination of 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 um, homosexuality on on men. And her husband said, "That's not the Methodist Church I grew up in. It's not the Methodist Church I can work in." And he quit. Get the key word. He quit. What could now happen? Yes, Sally joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And a year later, her husband joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Friends, through the health message. You know, I don't know what it's like here, but where I'm from, in the mountains of East Tennessee and Appalachia, If you ask a person, John, why, why do you go to the Baptist church or the Methodist church? It was like, duh, my daddy goes to the Methodist church. My, my granddaddy went to the Methodist church. And see, something that they have is that preacher they know. He grew up in the community. He works down in Sawmill and he's their cousin probably. And they've known them all their life. And they go to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday afternoon, every Wednesday night, and every time that door's open. And so you just can't walk into town and tell somebody, you need to make a change. And so it's through relationships. It's relationship that builds what? Trust. And the best way to do it is what I'm going to share with you all. This afternoon. The right hand is used to open doors through which the body may find entrance. This is part of the medical missionary work is to act. It is to largely prepare the way for the reception of the truth for this time. A body without hands is useless. Now let's say that I wanted to go through a door over here. These lights, I don't want to walk outside of them. Let's say I want to go through a door here. My arms are behind my back. How do I go through that door? How do I open the door? Well, I can use my shoulder and go through it like a bull in a china closet. Or do I take my hand and I open that doorknob, open it, and walk through? See, the right hand represents what? The health ministry. The body represents... The gospel. I'm a fire chief. And exactly right now, we have guys at the fire hall that are are training. And I have young fellows on the fire hall. And they've got a lot of testosterone. And if you have a house fire and they need to go inside, they'd love to kick the door open. Or they'd love to use the axe or what we call our irons. Irons. irons, And they will take an an axe or they'll take a halligan tool and they'll bust that door to get inside. And I say, guys, just walk over that door and check the doorknob, see if the door's open, and just walk on in. Or if we have a wreck on the interstate or up on one of the mountain roads and there's this car, it's all crushed up, and and they want to pull out jaws of life. Everybody wants to run jaws, rip that car open. I say, guys, just see if the doorknob's open. See if it'll open. But how often do we try to go in with the gospel and we think we have, to, we have to give them all 28 fundamental beliefs, and we run in like a bull in a china closet. Do we ever do that? Is it effective? Not as. The gospel, or in the gospel, how often do we try to force the door open? See, if you don't have the right hand, can you use the right hand? You can't. So you have to have the right hand to go and open the door. But if you don't have one or don't know how to use it, you got to go in like a bull in a china closet. I can see in the Lord's providences that the medical missionary work is to be a grand, a great entering wedge whereby the diseased soul may be reached. Now, how many of y'all heat your house at Farwood? Anybody? Okay, so let's say that it's time to go out and bust wood, and it was so good to see that woodshed plumb full of wood. And so what you do is you stand that, uh, that piece of log on top of another stump there, and you, so you set your wedge on top, balance it, right? And you just kind of balance it there. And you stand back here, and you and you got your, your sledgehammer, and you take it, and you hit it. Is that how you do it? What's going to happen? That wedge is going to fly off. And what you do, you're going to take that wedge and you're going to take your, your sledgehammer or the back end of your axe and you're going to knock it and knock it a little harder and harder and harder and then you'll come back here. Boom. And then you can knock that thing open. Because if you try to go in and you just sit there and you come and haul back and, and use the entering wedge with all your force, is it as effective? It's an entering wedge. Slowly relationships, friendships. Let me share with you. There was Amanda. Amanda came to the store, and um, she met with Mary Lou. Mary Lou works a lot with the ladies, and I work more with the men. Is there a reason for that, y'all? And so she was sharing with Amanda on some personal issues, and, and, and she had shared with her some information, and outside our door at work, we've got this, this box. I call it Silent Sam. And he's working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It looks like one of those um, real estate boxes you can open up and go find houses. Well, inside this box has literature. And so she had gone and she'd taken it out. And it had information on the Sabbath. She asked Mary Lou some questions, asked me some questions. She'd gone down the grocery store. And, and someone had laid another piece of mag- uh, literature on, on top of the trash can. She went over to see what it was, and guess what it was on? Uh, different piece of literature it was on the Sabbath and she started asking more questions uh, and she had had some health issues her husband had some issues and and we developed a what relationship and then I asked her would would you like to study this issue yes I would and we started doing Bible studies started inviting her to church she accepted the Sabbath she accepted the Seventh-day Adventist church she got baptized she became an active member in the church. And then there was Keith. I was down in Dallas, Texas at the first church, and we were doing an evangelistic series with uh, ASI. And this guy had come on Sunday before the meeting started, and he had come to our, our health fair, big old health fair. And he'd come in, and big old fella, and i talked with him, and, I, and he seemed very interested. And I said, are you interested in, in health? He goes, oh, yes. I said, well, we're going to have more of these meetings like this and, uh, every evening for the next month. Would you like to come? He goes, I would. Well, later I found he'd just gotten out of prison. He was a drug dealer. And um, found out he didn't have a job. Found out his, uh, he and his wife were about to split. And he was having nightmares. He was going back to jail because, not because he's getting caught doing drugs, it's because he was, they weren't getting along too good. And uh, he, in his dreams, he'd have dreams that he was beating her up. And that's why he's going back to jail. Well, he was coming to these, and he sat right there. It was Dallas First Church, a big old church, and it had a middle aisle, and he sat second row back right there. And so we did the 15-minute health presentation, health nugget, and then the presenter would get up and speak, and he was too embarrassed to get up and walk out, so he stayed. And a week into it, I asked him, I said, Keith, I said, how's it going? He says, it's clear as mud. That's not good. Keith and I and, I, and we talked and become a little friends and and I said Keith we've got an addiction cessation class would you like to come to it because he was doing alcohol still doing drugs and he said um, yeah a drug dealer coming to our addiction cessation class isn't God amazing, amazing. and so he um, he came we got him a job went out and helped him find a job at night because he was staying on the street with the boys and. And we got him a job in the daytime. Better to work at daytime. That way he's at home at night in same bed with his wife, and things got a whole lot better there. And um, two weeks later, I asked him, I said, Keith, I said, um, how's it going? He says, it's as clear as could be. One week later, John Gilley, John hadn't left, uh, I mean, Jim Gilley, Jim hadn't left the church yet and gone up to 3ABN yet. And one week later, Jim went and um, baptized Keith. What happened? Do the things which we do, we eat, we breathe, we drink, does that affect our brain function? Can that discern or help can that affect the discernment of God's word? It did with Keith. And when he cleaned that up, plus started getting sleep like he was supposed to. He was able to understand God's word and accept it. Do medical missionary work. Thus, you will gain access to the hearts of people. Do medical missionary work. How many of y'all parents? Do you ever tell your kids or grandchildren to do something? Do you? Now, when I grew up on, on... Now, as y'all can tell, I ain't from around here. I'm from the mountains of East Tennessee. And when, when we grew up in the South, in East Tennessee, and your grandparent or your parent told you to do something, they didn't count. You know, one. Come on, Walter. Two. Walter, you better get doing it. Two and a half. No, there was no counting. I mean, if my parents or grandparents had ever asked me to do something, I had been told. You know what I mean? And the consequences were there. Has God that way? Does it? How many of y'all took basic language in school? Y'all remember computer basic language? If-then statements. If-this-then-this. If-this-then-this. This. Well, this book is an if-then statement. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. Do you agree? That's what we were listening before, correct? It's if-then statements. Well, God is an if-then. So if God says do something, had you better do it. Well, it says do medical missionary work thus you will gain access to the hearts of the people. The way will be prepared for more decided proclamation of truth, you will find that relieving their physical sufferings gives an opportunity to minister to their spiritual needs. Can you see how that be? You've got a person here who, they may be an atheist, or they may be the strongest Southern Baptist there might be. But when you help them with their health issues things that weren't able to be fixed before had a lady come in the other day she talked to Mary Lou she has schizophrenia and she was had been suffering for it for 20 or 30 years doc said there ain't nothing else we can do so we're going to do shock treatments on you now shock treatments she said i don't want that so she came and Mary Lou happened to be there and Mary Lou talked to her and Recommended some things. She came back in. It was either a week or two later. I think it was two weeks later. And she says, the schizophrenia has gone. Gone. Plum gone. That means totally gone. I said, Mary Lou told me about you. She said they were going to do shock treatments on you. She said, that's right. No, I didn't want that. I said, I don't blame you. I said, man, God did that healing. See how it works then? Because Mary Lou prayed with her. I know she did. Because she prays with everybody comes in. And she prayed with her that God would bless it. And God blessed it. And the schizophrenia is gone. And, and with the medications they had. that had been given her for all those years. Still could not correct it. Do medical missionary work. Who's God talking to there? Now I'm, I'm a little different. I come off a farm and work pretty plain thinking. If God, if, if I'm talking to you, and then I'm talking to you, does what I say to you different than what I say to you? Is it still coming from me? Is there a difference in that book right there and this book right here? When God talks either in that book or this book, is it the same God talking? Is there the same expectation? Yes. Yes. So he's talking to everyone sitting in this room and every one of y'all listening out there, whether you're in Africa or wherever you are. Do medical missionary work. Thus, you will gain access to the hearts of the people. And what were we just talking about? Gaining the hearts to the people. God has an expectation that we point the sin-sick soul to Christ. If you want to be more effective, use your right hand. Did medical missionary work gain access to the hearts of Amanda? How about that Methodist preacher's wife? Yes. How else does the medical missionary work prepare the way for the reception of the truth for this time? Let me tell you about Lydia. It was a Friday morning. Mary Lou was up at the mountain uh, doing homeschool with the kids. So I, I got grandkids, so i tell you it's been a while ago. It was a Friday morning. I was there by myself, and I was standing, and I was helping a number of ladies. Door opens. Person comes walking in, comes around, comes around to the side and walks in. And um, she says, you walk? Yes, ma'am. They told me you could help me. How can I help you? She says, I need to speak with you and spend some time with you. I said, ma'am, I'm by myself today. But um, I tell you what, this was Friday morning. I said, you come back Sunday, Monday, Monday morning at 8 o'clock, and I'll be glad to help you. She says, I'll be back, and I'll be the worst case you ever dealt with. She dressed like a gypsy. She looked like a dog that was plumb wore out, beat, and she went on out and left. Monday morning, she was there bright and early, right on time. So she sat down, I sat down, and I'm doing an assessment. We're looking at her history, and um, she's telling me, uh, you know, the problems she has. Been to a psychiatrist, drugs didn't work, been to a psychologist, therapy didn't work. And we're talking and going through the problems she's had. and then she says, can I tell you something? I said, yes, ma'am. She says, I can make things levitate, do you believe me? I said, yes, ma'am. She didn't say nothing else. I started, out, started asking her more questions. I'm writing down, and she's going through the different problems, and she says, "Oh, I need to tell you something else." I said, "What's that?" She says, "I can tell you everything Cross Street and O'Reilly's auto parts, and I've never been in there. I can tell you exactly where it is. Do you believe me?" I said, "Yes, ma'am. Now what am I dealing with? So I changed gears. She's got a brain thing. Would you agree? Yes, she came in talking about a brain thing, but has she really got a brain thing now? That brain needs to be strong. What's the most important organ in the body? The brain. Why is the brain the most important organ in the body? It's how you communicate with God. And so that lady, did she need to communicate with God? Yes, she did. And so we needed to get that brain working well. So I went through some things that could help... Uh, to some changes that she needed to make and some things she, she could use that would help the brain function work better. And as I was doing that, I started talking about Jesus. And you would have thought she, you hit her with a cattle prod. She started just shaking, shaking in the chair. And I said, what's wrong with you? She says, they don't like that. I said, who are they? I wanted to hear. Who are they? She says, they, not it, not he, they, multiple I tested it again. same thing happened. Then I, then I asked her, said something about God, and she did not shake. And that told me that Satan hates Jesus so much more than God. Does he hate Jesus? He sure does. So I told her, I said, when they start talking to you, I want you to say, in Jesus' name, Satan get thee behind me. I said, I don't care if you say it for 20 straight minutes. Say it until they quit talking to you. We do it? She said yes. Later, she told me she was being lifted out of, the chair, out of the bed at night. I confirmed it with her husband. She told me that she'd been lifted out of bed at night and thrown against the wall. I mean, Satan doesn't even treat his own people good. She came, and as I was walking out, God will tell you stuff if you listen. Do you believe me? There's no reason why I would have done this. But God, and as I'm walking out, I said, Oh, just the week before, two Gideon men had come by, and they gave me a little Gideon Bible. And so I was impressed to give her that little Bible. So I walked over, and I picked up the little Bible, and I gave it to her. I said, take this home and read it, and I want you back next Monday morning at 8 o'clock. I said, okay. She left next Monday morning, right on time, 8 o'clock, knocking at the door. This time, Mary Lou was there. I told her about her, so Mary Lou thought, well, maybe I need to come, so she was there. So, um, isn't it good to have a backup? How did the disciples go out? And when we go out two by two, what can the other person be doing? Did Mary Lou need to come down and help me that morning? Yes, she wasn't sitting there with me, but she was in the other room. She was praying. So, as I opened the door and she came in, she still dressed kind of strange, like a gypsy, her hair all weird and something stuck to her forehead, but she did not look like a whooped dog. She had a smile on her face. She looked at peace in her face. And I opened the the door and she came in. I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing great. I said, are they talking to you? She says, no. They quit talking to me. I said, how would you get get them to quit talking to you? She says, I did what you told me to. I, I said what you told me to do. I said, okay, good. I said, by chance, did you have were you able to read that little book I gave you? She said, I did. And I especially liked the first four books in that book. Now, especially meant she'd done what? She'd read more than. She says, I especially like the first four books in that book. I said, why? She says, it talks about Jesus. And she didn't shake at all. When you go to a person that's demon-possessed, do you think they just want you to hand them a book, the Bible? Do you think they're going to just right off start saying, "Jesus' name, Satan, so get thee behind me?" Do you see how the right arm opens that door? It clears the mind in order to understand God's word at its what fullest. It is so important. The brain is the organ and instrument of the mind and controls the whole body in order for the other parts of the system to be healthy. The brain must be healthy. And in order for the brain to be healthy, the blood must be pure. If by correct habits of eating and drinking the blood is kept pure, the brain will be properly nursed. You know, this is huge. I used to try to figure out what's more important dealing with a patient's brain or dealing with what's going on in their body because I knew there was a huge connection. But does, it, does this make it clear? So what is more important than dealing with the body? Dealing with uh, but it doesn't stop there. What do you have to fix before you fix the brain? What? What do you got to fix? The blood. The blood is the fuel. And I'll talk about that this week, about the fuel. The blood is the fuel that runs the brain. And if, you're, if you've got a race car, you better be running 116 octane fuel. And God made our brains as race car brains. They need 110 octane, 116 octane. And how do you do it? It's by what you eat and what you drink. Turn with me if you have your Bibles. Do you have your Bibles? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Tell me, is this what it says? Whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? No. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do you think it was? it's broad enough to say, do all to the glory of God? Yes, but God gave us a clue. God gave us a tip. God gave us a key in order to do whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Our brains have to function well. And we learned in the other book that God wrote, in order for the brain to work well, the blood must be pure. In order for the blood to be pure, we must have to do what? Watch what you eat and what you drink. Do you see how it works? It kind of reminds me of that fourth commandment. God gave us a little key. Remember. He didn't say remember on any of the others. Why? Why? Well, yeah, folks have forgot them. But that fourth one, folks, we're were really going to forget. When we look at the body working, and we'll talk about this more during the week, it's not just what you eat and what you drink. There's more. God gave us keys, those eight keys. And we'll talk more about that later. The mind controls the whole man. All our actions, good or bad, have their source in the mind. It is the mind that worships God. God, and allies us to heavenly beings. Is that important? That is huge, y'all. It is the mind that worships God and allies us to heavenly beings. Therefore, the mind must be what working well in order for the brain to be working well. What must be working well? The blood circulation. Perfect health is in perfect circulation. In order for the blood to be well, we must watch what we eat, and drink. Do you see how simple God gave us this key? And when Mary Lou and I work with people, when we apply this, it works. I worked in healthcare for 20 years, regular health care, before 19 years ago I started doing this, but for 20 years I worked in regular health care. I can tell you, our drugs did not have the outcomes that Mary Lou and I see on a daily basis. It blows them out of the water. Yet many spend all their lives without becoming intelligent In regard to the casket that contains this treasure. Was Lydia's blood cleaned up to address her brain? Well, yes. I told her about how to eat, how to drink that first week. And she started doing better there. She didn't totally get there that first week. But it made a difference. Why has it not been understood from the word of God that the work being done in medical missionary lines is a fulfillment of Scripture? Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. And bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Do you want to do that? Or do you just want to go to the rich folk? Or maybe the folks at work. Or maybe your neighbors. But what did God say here? Bring in the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. God don't count neither. The servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house might be full on the fire department. If I have someone standing on the bridge, and they're getting ready to jump off in the river, and i got a bunch of bridges through my fire district. If they're standing there on the bridge, do I say, Hey, buddy, might want to jump off that bridge there. On this side, on the road. Come on, come on back. And he says, oh, no, I think I'm just going to jump off and kill myself. Well, if that's what you want to do, go on. Am I going to do that as the fire chief? No. I'm going to try to figure out how to talk that fella off that ledge and get him back here. if I can go over there and grab him and get him off, I'm going to do it. Is that not what we're supposed to do? God says, compel them to come in. Now, God does not make us do things. Does he? He doesn't force us. So how do we compel people? By being friends. But I don't want to be friends to the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. I just want to be friends to rich people or people like me or or my neighbor or folks I work with. I don't want to go down there. Do you see what I'm saying? You compel them by becoming friends building trust, showing them Christ through you, helping them with whatever health problems that they have, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. In my first 20 years, I never saw a care plan that said reversing diabetes. Never. But I see at least 98% reversal today. Mary Lou and I had a class this winter. And we had... I don't know, we had two pharmacists, we had a psychologist, we had nurses. One of the nurses had type 1 diabetes. She'd had it for many, many years, obviously. And um, she was running between 80, 85 units of insulin a day. By the end of our class, she was at 5 units, and that's pretty normal on a type 1. Type 2s were plumb off their their, their diabetic medicine, totally off of their, their hypertensive medicine. Making relationships. Trust. Showing them Christ through you. That is how you compel them. Because they want what you got. Because obviously what they got ain't doing too good. Why has it not been understood from the word of God that the work being done in medical missionary lines is a fulfillment of the scripture? Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed, the halt and the blind. I read it again because it is so, so important. The health reform I was shown is a part of the third angel's message and is just as closely connected with it as are the arm and the hand with the human body. I saw that we as a people must, as a parent, you tell your young, you must do this. You have a teacher that says you must do this to pass. Y'all remember that in school? God is saying, you must do this. I mean, he uses very strong words. Again, if, then. If, then. If you do this, then this will be the outcome. If you do this, this will be the outcome. I can tell you, I remember one time. Let me share with y'all how strict it was in the South when I grew up. I'd gone down to Chattanooga to see my mom's family. And... uh, the weekend. I wasn't in school yet. And, and I, on Monday morning, I went, we got back Sunday night and went to my, my grandmother, uh, my dad's mom on the farm we lived um, Monday morning. And uh, we were talking and we ha- we'd had dinner and mom worked down at the hospital and off the mountain and Dad was out working on the farm. And it, I asked my grandmother, I said, what's for lunch? And she said, boy, we ain't no city slickers. And if I ever hear you say that word again, I'm going to take a switch to you. Had I been warned? Yes. If I had ever said lunch again to my grandmother, would I have had a switch taken to me? Yes. God says here, I saw that we as a people must make an advance move in this great work. Ministers and people must act in concert. God's people are not prepared for the loud cry of the third angel. Do you want to be ready for that loud cry? Why does God say we're not ready for a loud cry? Because why? What's the work that He said we should be doing? Health reform. Unless we're doing health reform, God says, You are not ready for the loud cry of the third angel. You must act in concert for me to send the loud, for there to be a, a The loud cry of the third angel. Because why? You're not ready for it. I was shown that the work of health reform has scarcely been entered upon yet. While some feel deeply and act out their faith in work, others remain indifferent and have scarcely taken the first step in reform. There seems to be in them a heart of unbelief. And as this reform restricts the lustful appetite, and many shrink back, they have other gods before the Lord. Their taste, their appetite is their god so what is their god appetite did you know that satan's ultimate weapon is what appetite god has told us that through inspiration and when the axe is laid at the root of the tree and those who have indulged their depraved appetites at the expense of health or touch their sin pointed out their idols shown them that they do not wish to be con- convinced and although god's voice would should speak directly to them To put away those health-destroying indulgences, some would still cling to the hurtful things which they love. They seem joined to their idols. Now, this is what's very scary, y'all. And God will soon tell his angels or say to his angels, let them alone. Remember, God does not make us do stuff. My grandmother wouldn't make me not say lunch, but I can guarantee you what would have happened if I did. I'd gotten that switch off the refrigerator. Without health, no one can as distinctly understand. No one, now this is important here. Without health, no one can as as distinctly understand or as completely fulfill his obligation to himself, to his fellow beings, or to his creator. Therefore, the health should be as faithfully guarded as the character. A knowledge of physiology and hygiene should be the basis of all educational effort. What are we told is the first science to teach children? What is it? Physiology. Absolutely. When I was a boy, I remember I I grew up in the late 60s, 70s, and I'd have, uh, you know, you'd come home from school and the kids around, they'd come up and say, hey, you want to go drink a beer? And I'd say, no, my church don't believe in it. Well, it kept me from drinking, but it wasn't the right answer. And then the kids will say, you want to go smoke some marijuana? I'd say, no, my church don't believe in it. It worked, but it wasn't the right answer. Or you want to go do some drugs? I had my best friend. He was, uh, I mean, he was smart, but he started doing acid. You want to go do some stuff? No, my church don't believe in it. I can't do it. Well, yes, it stopped me, but that was not the right answer. My answer should have said, no, I don't want to go drinking with you because I don't want to kill brain cells and I don't want to turn my liver green. And no, I don't want to go smoking pot because I don't want to kill brain cells and I don't want to go hold off to jail or whatever happens to you. Do you see why physiology is so important to teach children? Because they can say no because they understand how it affects their body. Not just because mom and dad said so, which is reason enough. Not just because the church said so, but because they understand the physiology, the harmful effects that it would have on their body in choosing men and women for his service god does not ask whether they possess worldly wealth learning or eloquence eloquence he asks do they walk in such humility that i can teach them my ways can i put my words into their lips will they represent me that's a win win y'all is it not We may not be highfalutin people. Y'all know what highfalutin is around here? Okay. We may not be wealthy. We may not have PhDs or whatever. We may not be able to speak eloquently. But do we walk in such humility that God can teach them, teach us His ways? Folks, do they want their way? And I put my words onto their lips. Will they represent me? Well, God God will use. Now, people say, nobody's going to use me. Well, you're in tough luck if that's the case. God will use men who are willing to be used. It is not the most brilliant or the most talented persons who work produces the greatest and most lasting results. Aren't you glad? I'm not brilliant for, by far. Or the most talented Men and women who need to have heard a message from heaven. The most effective workers are those who respond to the invitation. Are you willing to respond to God's invitation? That invitation is, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Christ, the great medical missionary, is our example. He healed the sick and preached the gospel. In his service, healing and teaching were linked closely together... Today they are not to be separated. Many times people say, Well, I can do Bible studies, but I'll call in somebody that's a medical missionary, maybe, and they can help you with that, you know, that headache you got, or whatever the problem may be. Maybe you have shingles, maybe you have gout. Maybe you have whatever the problem is. Or maybe it's it's you're a medical missionary, but you know. There's times I've been right plumb in the middle of doing a health, a health questionnaire and so on. Go, and I'm checking. they come in because they have diabetes. they come in because they have cancer whatever it may be. And they'll say, I mean, just out of the blue, why do you go to church on Saturday? I mean, boom, change gears. You know, I'd love to get you in contact with my pastor. Let me get, let me get, get your, your number and his number and I'll get you to call him. That ain't how, the, how it works. Because when a person is ready, they're ready. Y'all grow okra around here? Who, who's ever had okra? Okay. I call it the okra window. It's Friday morning. Y'all got okra in Africa, don't you? Okay. Okra's about this long. It's Friday morning. You're going away this weekend going out to the mountains and wherever it might be, and you'll be back Sunday night, but it'll be too late. And So Monday morning, you'll go out to pick your okra before you go to work. And Monday morning, it might be this big. What's wrong? Okra is perfect right there, y'all. So if you haven't ever eaten okra, when you look for okra, you want to buy it that long. That's when it's the best. The problem is, Monday morning, it's going to be this long. It's going to be too coarse. When that person says, Why do you go to church on Saturday? They're in the okra window, y'all. If I say, let me get your, my preacher with you, it's over. You lost it. When I go out as a, fire, a fireman, and, and we come off the mountain and we cover a large area there, and the interstate runs through our area, and so that's most of our runs is on the interstate. We get a lot of tractor-trailer wrecks, um, car wrecks, terrible things and uh, yes we get house fires and that kind of thing and people roll off the side of the mountain up on the mountain but our most runs are on the interstate and so we get the call I come off the mountain and I get there and the vehicle's on fire so I have my fire hat on and I go and I put the fire out it's easy but what if I get there and that vehicle is crunched up like a tin can and someone's inside will a fire hose open that door well, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to wait. Let me call rescue squad. Now we're up in the mountains and it's going to take them a while. Or do I put on my rescue hat, walk over to the side of the truck and pull out jaws of life and go rip that vehicle open? You know what I'm saying? Or maybe they they have a, a major health injury and they're bleeding to death. Do I say, oh, let me call the ambulance? No, I then put on my EMS hat and I deal with that major bleed or whatever problem they have that we got to stabilize that patient until we can get that ambulance or I'm flying them out in a helicopter. Or maybe it's a, a vehicle coming through and we have a lot of tractor trailers and they haul what I call methyl ethyl bad stuff. And they crash. Do I say, oh, let me call Hazmat out of Morristown or out of Knoxville? No. Well, yes, I'm going to call them anyway, but I'm going to put on my Hazmat hat and we're going to go in if it's safe And we're going to deal with that hazmat situation. You see what I'm saying? I have to put on whatever hat that I'm dealing with. God wants you to wear at least two hats. He wants you to wear a gospel worker hat where you can do Bible studies, where you can share that Christ with that person. But he also wants you to wear a hat that you're a medical missionary. And whichever thing happens, I don't know if it's going to be a fire or a crunched up car or a person in medical problems I got to fly out or if it's a hazardous material I get there I find out and that's the hat I put on God doesn't go give you a head's warning sometimes and so in order for me to get there on that scene it's not time for me to pull out that book and say let me see how do I run a jaw's of life that person's inside bleeding to death or that car's on fire, and someone's in there, and I got to put it out so it doesn't burn them. Well, let's see here. How do I get that fire hose off here without making some big old mess out here, like a big old spaghetti thing? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so you pull it and, and take five minutes to, you know? And so you got to wear both hats. You got to be trained both ways. And that's what God's saying here. It's not to be separated. And He wants each of us to be able to do that. Today, they're not to be separated. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe some things. Is that what it says? What's it say? All things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end. God is That's the big commission. Would you agree? Did, did Christ teach us medical missionary work? Teach all things. Not just the gospel. See, the gospel is the most important part. Don't get me wrong here, y'all. The gospel is the most important part. But you've got to have that hand that opens the door to make the gospel to go in easier. The gospel is the most important component. But to be able to open that door effectively and not go in like a bull in a china closet, to be most effective... You need to have the medical missionary component. God puts people in front of us every day. And he puts a person in front of you that has... Let's make it simple. Let's say they got diabetes. Diabetes is easy to reverse. That is plum easy. And he puts a person in front of you. And you share with them... You know, how to do it. Or you say, oh, you know, I don't, I don't really want to deal with that. I don't know how to do that yet. Did you just lose an opportunity? Did that person just lose an opportunity to know Christ? That's pretty serious, y'all. They didn't come and ask you about the 28 fundamental beliefs. They came and asked you how to deal with their diabetes. And by helping them with the diabetes, then you could have shared God's love that we just talked about a few minutes ago every person should have a knowledge of nature's remedial agencies and how to apply them see so many people have this academic knowledge oh I know about the eight laws of health oh I know about this I know about that but they can't take it from here to put it to here because they have no practical knowledge it's a whole different it's like a little boy who says my daddy's a truck driver I can drive a truck Can that little boy drive a tractor trailer? No. Just because his daddy has talked about it? No. You've got to have practical knowledge, and that's what God says here. It is essential both to understand the principles involved in the treatment of the sick and have a practical training that will enable one rightly to use this knowledge. We did that in school. Remember in chemistry? We were in the classroom, and then we went to the lab. Remember in anatomy and physiology? Anatomy, we we're in the classroom, we went to the lab, remember that? It's the same thing here. In order to do it, you can't just talk, y'all have been on farms, you can't just talk about driving a tractor. You've got to drive a tractor and have experience driving a tractor to be able to run that tractor like it needs to be. We have come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of the medical missionary work. The, wor- the world is a laser house filled with the, the victims of both physical and spiritual disease everywhere people are perishing for a lack of knowledge of the truths that have been uh, committed to us. Everywhere people are perishing for a lack of knowledge of the truths that that have been committed to us. If we're doing something, something's going to happen. If we're not, they're not getting it. the members of the church are in need of a what? Would you agree? Whether you're in you're in japan right now or if you're in africa right now or in germany or wherever you are our people need an awakening we got new recruits that we're training tonight at the fire hall back in east tennessee normally i train them but my son walter he's training them in my place tonight they've got to be trained in order to do the job that they've agreed to do if not they're just going to show up and who wants to run inside of a burning building you got to be trained to do that kind of stuff. That just ain't normal. Members of the church are in need of awakening, that they may realize their responsibility to impart these truths. Those who have been enlightened by the truth are to be light bearers to the world. To hide our light at this time is to make a terrible mistake. Who does that come from? The guy that wrote this book right here. Who's worked in corporate America. Anybody ever worked in corporate America? I did. Corporate tells you to do something and they come and say, Walt, you made a terrible mistake. It ain't a good day. God has told us here to hide our light at this time is to make a terrible mistake. What is the light? God's word. And we weren't able to do it because that person needed the medical missionary work to open the door. You hid the light. And God placed that person in front of you and you weren't able to do anything about it. Does God hold us responsible for that? I say He does. The message to God's people today is Arise, shine, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. We need to get up and do something. Don't just sit there and talk about it. Get up and do it. Crack the nut. Christ commits to his followers an individual work, a work that cannot be done by proxy. Ministry to the sick and the poor, the giving of the gospel to the lost, is not to be left to committees or organized charities. Individual responsibility, individual effort, personal sacrifice. God, I just don't have time. Would that have worked at corporate America if I said, oh, I just ain't got time to do what you want me to do? They would have found somebody else, and I would have been unemployed. If I told dad or granddad I didn't have time, well, you know what that results would have been back then? It is the requirement of the gospel. Ministry to the sick and the poor. Giving of the gospel to the lost. That is our, the requirement for us. Nothing will help us more at this stage, nothing will help us more at this stage of our work than to understand and to fulfill the mission of the greatest medical missionary that ever trod the earth. Nothing will help us more than to realize how sacred is this kind of work and how perfectly it corresponds with the life work of the great missionary. The object of our mission is the same as the object of Christ's mission. Why did God send His Son to the fallen world? To make known and to demonstrate to mankind His love for them. Christ came as a Redeemer throughout His ministry. He was to keep prominent His mission, the same as ours, to save sinners, to point the sin-sick soul to Christ. That is your mission. That is each one of our mission. Are you doing it? Whether you're sitting here or you're out there, In choosing men and women for his service, God does not ask where they possess worldly wealth, learning, or eloquence. He asks, and I'm reading this again in conclusion, do they walk in such humility that I can teach them my way? Can I put my words into their lips? Will they represent me? This is very serious, y'all. I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. See, if you're not a medical missionary, you will be on the unemployment line. God cannot use you. I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionaries. If you're a preacher and you don't know medical missionary work, you're unemployed. If you're a doctor, I had a doctor tell me once, he says, I'm a medical missionary, I pray with my patients. That is not a medical missionary. It's great to pray with patients, but that is not a medical missionary. I tell you, if we do not fill this requirement in the last days, God will not be able to use us. I encourage you. Don't be on the unemployment line. Get up. As it said. Get up. And learn what God has asked you to learn. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father. Lord. You're very clear. You're very plain. Lord just wake us up. Help us to understand your expectation. Lord. Lord. Each one of us in this room and every listener out there tonight. This is a win-win. We can do it because you ask us to do it. A father would not ask his son to do something and set him up to fail. You are not going to set us up to fail. Lord, give us the faith to stand up and learn your medical missionary work. And not only for ourselves, but we may use it as an opening wedge. That we may point the sin-sick soul. To your son. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.